Hey, this is John Joyner, and I believe in the power of story, how it can impact a life, how it can carry truth and wisdom, how it connects us to others. And that's where this podcast begins. It exists as a connection point. You see, these stories are not my stories. They're all of ours. So, my friends, welcome to Social Stories. Welcome to episode one of Social Stories. We're so glad that you're here. If you don't know anything about this podcast, it's basically just a social experiment. You see, every story that you'll ever hear in this season and in future seasons all come from other people's ideas. You see, what happens is we go online, uh, mostly to our Instagram so far. Um, We will expand to other social platforms here pretty soon. But we invite anyone who wants to, to offer up a one-sentence story prompt. And it could be anything, literally a string of words together, uh, a random thought you had, or even a really well-developed story idea that maybe you've you know been thinking through for a while. And we take all of these story prompts and we put them into this big list and we read through them and anything that pops out and anything that we feel like I can twist that into um, a full short story. There's some sort of idea that rises up in me as I read through these prompts and, and some prompts just pop out and they become episodes. And so that's what this whole podcast is about. It's a collection, it's a collaborative effort, and it's a connection point for all of us. My hope is that maybe one day you'll submit a story idea and it'll make it onto the podcast and you can be really proud about your episode. So that is where we begin. I love the potential of this podcast because you guys think of things that I just don't. And then when your thoughts come in and then my my experiences and, and my own thoughts sort of mesh and mash together, then something new comes comes from it. And that's such a cool concept. So I'm so grateful that you're here. I love being a part of this project and I hope that you'll enjoy it too. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get to the reading. That's why you're here. This first episode comes from a story prompt that Annie Brannon gave. And this was one of the first story prompts. This story unfolded in about four hours that it took me to write it from beginning to end. And I'm really satisfied with how it turned out. So her story prompt was this. Only 49 people know what's going to happen on New Year's Eve 2020, and no one believes them. I love that. And I love how this story turned out. So let's get to the reading Here you have it. Episode one, it's called 49. The incessant buzzing drove George insane. He hadn't decided if he'd rather literally go insane from the buzzing that would save his life or lose himself among the rest of humanity when the year 2020 began. And so the buzzing continued. He adjusted the thick black metallic bracelet that clung to his right arm and remembered receiving it in the mail along with what he thought was an incredibly exciting invitation to something called the assembly. The envelope had been matted black 
with a red wax seal. Inside was the invitation to an exclusive resort in Colorado where he would learn how to lead at the highest level. He simply had to wear the bracelet and he would have free admittance. He didn't know then that the bracelet would be impossible to take off. How did I get here? He whispered. The room was empty aside from a fish George kept in a quintessential glass fishbowl. Green plastic seaweed sprouted from multicolored faux sand around a half-open treasure chest spilling fake gold doubloons. Rupert, the betta fish, sleeping off a particularly uneventful day of swimming, didn't hear George speak. It didn't matter that George had no conversation partner. He reflected to himself silently. If he had to guess, all of this had begun during his precocious childhood. George had a knack for learning. He considered himself a professional, and his brain seemed to absorb information to be easily accessed later. And since learning felt like second nature to him, something he actually enjoyed, he was different than the other kids. While they played sports during recess, George worked on the mathematics and physics necessary to get a rocket to the moon. And as a side note, when he later checked his work against that which NASA scientists had actually used to succeed in mankind's boldest adventure... George's calculations were correct within a remarkably low standard deviation. And so George collected knowledge as if each fact was a friend, seriously lacking that sort of thing in human form. After his 13 years of formal education in the public schools of Vermont, George had attended Yale to study business leadership, one of the only majors that challenged him as it was outside of his natural tendencies. And when he found himself in a sea of people who are just like him, prodigious learners, human connection became easier, and he had even been elected president of his fraternity. When his last essay had been turned in, the thesis of which had been a study on the business ethics of a decreasingly moral world, George solidified his place as valedictorian of his graduating class, and was subsequently afforded the opportunity to speak before Rudy Giuliani during their graduation commencement. When his speech had been delivered and his tassel had turned, George was offered a position in upper management at a mega corporation headquartered in a high-rise in the heart of Atlanta, one of those buildings people drive by every day and never stop to question what happens inside. Along with the position came a six-figure salary. In five short years, before he had even turned 30, George had earned his way into senior leadership, seven figures, and was primed to become Mr. Corner Office CEO by the time he was 40. He had had the next 20 years mapped out, his eyes set on becoming a billionaire, yes, B as in boy, by the time he was 50. But any plans he had beyond January 1st, 2020, didn't matter anymore. George touched the cold metal wall of the cube in which he sat, just to feel the sensation on his fingertips. Wearing a white robe with the initials TKS embroidered on the left breast, he untied the waist belt to let cool air under the plush fabric. The chair's legs screeched against the metal floor as he pushed back from the table and stood. He headed for the fishbowl, bent down, and tapped on the glass. Hey, Rupert. Hope you're living your best fish life right now. In just a few short hours, you'll be freer than 95% of humanity. Rupert flipped a fin forward, propelling himself backward in an attempt to retreat from the gigantic tapping noises. 
You want to know something, Rupert? George asked. My real name's not even George. I don't know why I still use it. I still think of myself as someone is at the door. A robotic female voice chirped in the overhead speaker. Venetia, show front door feed on bunker monitor. Venetia beeped, and a monitor built into the metal wall beside the open bunker door flashed to life, displaying an image of George's visitor in 4,000 pixels. Callie? George breathed, his heart rate increasing. She... she came. George? Callie said on the front porch. Behind her, the sun was making its getaway, bruising the sky as it left. George, are you there? She sounded worried. Venetia, broadcast this message. Callie, come in. Take the hallway to your left, then the third door on the right. Follow the stairs down. Shut every door behind you. The amorphous home assistant transmitted George's message to the front porch speaker. Venetia, unlock all doors. A cadence of metallic pops echoed in sequence through the enormous empty house. George watched as Callie glanced over her shoulder at the street one last time, threw open the front door, and disappeared inside. Venetia, display hallway feeds. Callie rushed through the halls, following George's directions immaculately, and appeared at the bottom of the stairs in seconds. Venetia, full lockdown. Every smart lock in the house snapped into position. Metal drapes closed over all the windows and doors. The lights dimmed. George, it's really you! Callie cried as she rushed to throw her arms around him. Her body heat permeated his skin, sinking deep into his bones, even infiltrating into his soul. The hopelessness he had felt for months on end was washed away in a moment in the tsunami of her embrace. Are you okay? He croaked, her hug bending his lungs like a rubber band on a balloon. The metal bracelet on her arm dug into his back, but he didn't mind. I am, she said, finally releasing him. I can't believe it's been six months since... George, it's, it's here. Tonight is when... I know. He cut her off and closed the bunker door. Am I the only one who came? She said, glancing around the bunker. One of the walls contained another large metal door. She walked toward it and glanced inside the icy window. You have enough supplies for all 50 of us to live down here for a year. I invited everyone, so I wanted to be prepared. I knew most wouldn't take me up on the offer. They were too excited about what's coming. You mean 49, George? 49, he asked. You... You didn't hear. Hear what? Della is dead. She did what they told us not to do, and they actually killed her. She tried to warn everyone? George asked, a darkness filling his belly. Instead of answering verbally, Callie pulled out her cell phone and navigated to YouTube. She typed in, Crazy girl says the world is going to end in 2020. The list of options collected from the search query was topped by a video with 15,000 views. Callie clicked on it. George was shocked to hear Adela's voice. She sounded frantic, not sweet and bubbly like he remembered when he met her at the assembly. I know no one is going to see this, and those of you who do probably won't believe me, but please, listen carefully. Something horrible is coming. I... I can't explain it exactly what's going to happen. I don't really get it myself, but I can tell you how to survive it. The first step, 
destroy your phones, your TVs, your computers. I know this is crazy, but anything with a screen and speakers, get rid of them. Take a sledgehammer to everything and then take it to the dump. The second step is to get away from the cities and suburbs. Get to some remote location and stay there until New Year's Eve. Get as far away from the screens as you possibly can. If you can't get away, you're going to have to protect yourself when everything happens on January 1st. Below is a link to download the frequency that will save you. It's annoying, I get it, but it'll keep you safe. A bright orange light overexposed the camera and the video ended. George read the first several comments mostly posts making fun of the terrible acting in the video and inviting Della to kill herself, do any number of other obscene things to herself, or just generally leave the planet. What happened to her? Tex seems to think these bracelets, she lifted her arm, are bombs meant to keep us in line. If they catch wind of us breaking any of their rules, they can detonate the bracelets from anywhere. Or at least that's what we've gathered. You've been in contact with Tex, George said, doing a bad job of hiding his jealousy. Yeah, I tried to convince him to come here with me, but he said his state needed him. He plans on leading the Texas zombies in a way that will give them purpose and meaning. Please tell me you haven't started calling them zombies. Well, what are you going to call them? You saw the test subjects at the assembly just like I did. They'll be brain dead and have fully functioning bodies. That's the company's whole point. Mr. POTUS is in the zombie-making business. I hate that he calls himself Mr. POTUS. He is going to make himself the leader of the human race when it all goes down, and I guess he plans on setting up his seat of power in the White House, so it makes sense. No, none of this makes sense, Callie. They discovered a way to permanently turn off a person's consciousness, and they're going to use those people to build the world they want, the world that suits them best. They tout it as if they're going to save the human race or save the world, but you and I both know that's exactly what won't happen. George, you're preaching to the choir. But you, me, and Tex are the only ones who seem to have a problem with what the company's doing. The other 46 feel like they've been divinely chosen to lead this new world. And we're not going to be able to convince them otherwise, George said. I think we have to try, Callie replied. Once the brain dead, George supplied. Sure, I don't care what we call them, but once the brain dead have been created tonight, we need to persuade as many of the other 46 to lead their state in revolt against Mr. Potus and the company. That's never going to work. Humans are too hungry for power and wealth, too wrapped up in themselves, to be convinced not to do something that's going to benefit them. Even knowing it means billions of people are going to draw the short straw. George, you're being pessimistic again, she said, adding a hint of levity to their conversation. Okay, she continued. If you don't think we can successfully revolt, well then what do you suggest? I don't know, George said. Maybe if Mr. Potus died, the company would call it all off. Even if we knew where he was tonight, we wouldn't be able to get within 100 feet of that man, Callie said. Tex thought of doing that months ago, and he said after hours of brainstorming, it would be impossible to pull off. Exactly. So there's nothing we can do. Callie, stay here with me. We could survive in this bunker for years together. And when we run out of supplies and we have to surface again, maybe the world won't be such a dangerous place anymore. You know we can't do that, George. 
There's a good man in there, she tapped his chest. Who knows, we can't just run from this. Mr. Potus must be stopped. Can we stop calling him that, please? Let's just use his real name, George said. He threw open the door to the refrigerator and pulled out a cold candy bar. He offered one to Callie. You know his name? Callie asked, waving away the cold treat. Yeah, there's power in knowing who someone really is. So I took a long trip down a Wikipedia hole one night after the assembly. You'd be surprised how much you can find out about someone on the internet. His name is George. Don't say it. My name isn't George, Callie. It's... No! Callie screamed. I know George isn't your real name. Just like Callie's not mine. But let's stick to what the company called us at the assembly, okay? What's wrong with knowing each other's real names? I just... I don't want to give them any reason to detonate this, she lifted her wrist. The company is going to blow you apart the second they catch wind of your plan. That's... that's why I'm here, Callie said, staring at the ground. Oh, George said. Not because of my invitation? Callie nodded once. When Tex heard you were creating a bunker to escape from everything, he thought that maybe you were building it as a Faraday cage so they couldn't listen to your conversations. And based on the fact that both of us are still alive right now, I'm guessing Tex was right. George sat on the metallic chair and stared at Rupert. George, you know in your heart you're going to have to step up and lead your state, right? You've been appointed to this role, and we'll need everyone to fight Mr. POTUS. What's the point? Most of humanity is going to be effectively dead, and he glanced at the clock on the wall. Five hours, and they'll really be under his control not ours. Tex thinks there's a way to reverse the damage. She let the statement hang in the air like static. A counterfrequency to combat the one that they're going to use to create the zump... Sorry, the brain dead. He's got a group of scientists protected by that, she indicated the ceaseless buzz that had pervaded their conversation from the start. And they're going to start working on a cure as soon as the danger is over. George sat up. Do you really think it's possible? I do. But we've got to figure out a way to keep these bracelets from going. She simulated an explosion with her hands. George stood from the table and walked to the wall. He pushed an invisible button on the metal, and a door slid to the side, revealing a safe. He punched in a 20-digit code, pulled it open, and brought out a semicircular copper band. Is that? Yes. You snap it over your bracelet like this. He proceeded to clip it onto hers. And theoretically, the company won't be able to listen in. When I made it, I didn't know the bracelets were bombs, but just like the copper won't let the audio transmissions out, it shouldn't let a detonation transmission in. Have you tested it? She asked, moving her wrist around to examine the copper clip from several different angles. It'll work. I guarantee it. George, you just saved us. All of us. She threw her arms around his neck. I'm afraid it's more complicated than that, he said, ignoring her perfume. Of course it is, she said, but you've poured the foundation upon which we can now build. We've got hard work ahead of us, yes, but the company selected us to lead our states for a reason. We can do this. We can use what the company thought would make us good leaders for them and turn the tables. How long will it take you to make one of these bands for all of us? Once I've got the material, not long, but I've only got that one right now. And I probably can't get enough for 50. 49, she corrected him. Yeah, 49. He picked at his fingernails. 
It'll take uh, a few days. Someone is at the door, Venetia interrupted. Tex? Callie wondered aloud. Did he come? Venetia, display front door camera on bunker monitor. Again, the monitor on the metal wall lit up. Are we having fun yet? Mr. Potus said from the front porch, leaning into the camera with his bright white smile. The annoying buzz that would protect him from becoming brain dead tonight was already emitting from a speaker he wore on his hip. One couldn't be too cautious when the stakes were so high. How did he? George began, and then Mr. Potus stepped away from the camera. Tex was standing behind him, arms crossed, scowl on his face. Let us in, George, or we'll let ourselves in, if you know what I mean. George walked to the monitor and pressed another invisible button on the wall. You can go to... That's no way to treat a guest, Mr. Potus interrupted him. Tex and I have traveled a long way to spend some time with you. Let us in. The last three words were a demand. Mr. Potus was the type of man who was obeyed. Not gonna happen, Henry. Mr. Potus's smile faltered. Yeah, that's right, George said, sneering. I know who you really are. How strong is this bunker? Callie asked from behind him. What do you mean? George responded, pulling his finger off the comm button. They're gonna bomb the house, George. Tex probably told them everything. I, I thought I could trust him, she said almost under her breath. Without warning, she slammed her hands on the metal table, screaming in rage. They won't stop until we're dead, she said through ragged breaths. The bunker can withstand a decent amount of firepower, but it won't hold forever, George answered her previous question. Then what do we do, Callie asked, horror and anger like two semis slamming into her chest. George paced the blue rug, grunting as the solution came to his mind. What? What are you thinking? Callie asked. He punched the wall, not in anger, but as an outlet for the adrenaline seeping into his bloodstream. He flexed his bloody knuckles and breathed deeply with his eyes closed. Then he walked to Rupert's bowl, twisted the cap off the bottle of fish food beside it, and tussled some flakes into his palm. Here you go, buddy. The bunker door hissed as Callie opened it. She stepped outside and closed the latch, locking it from outside. George walked to the window of the door. I'm sorry, Callie said. I can't let you do what you're thinking of doing. I'm going to go turn myself in, and I'm going to say you're not here. Venetia, open the bunker door, George commanded. The latch sprung up, and George pushed it out. Callie stared in surprise, unmoving. George grabbed her wrist and twisted the copper cover off her bracelet. He snapped it onto his and shoved her back inside the bunker. When the latch was back in the lock position, Callie yelled, Venetia, unlock the bunker door! She only listens to my voice. Venetia, in an hour, open the bunker door. The home assistant beeped her assent. The moment you get within 20 feet of Mr. Potus, they'll shoot you down. You won't have a chance to touch him! Callie shouted through the thick door. I don't think they'll try to shoot me, George said when he got to the stairs. Please! Please don't do this! George paused on the stairs where he could see Callie's face through the window of the bunker. It would have been nice, you know, you and me, living down here together. He nodded, still convincing himself this was his only option, and ascended the steps. Venetia, unlock the basement door. A pop, and George was through. 
He came to the front door, currently fortified with a metal drape, and attempted to catch his rapidly increasing breath. Venetia, display front door camera on entry monitor. The small screen buzzed awake. Mr. Potus was standing on the lawn, surrounded by a team of bulky men in black suits, his very own not-so-secret service. Tex stood at the door, arms still folded across his chest. George knew what he had to do, but he didn't want to do it. Ironically, he had spent his entire life collecting knowledge, trying and mostly failing to learn people. Tonight, that knowledge was going to save people. Please, God, let this work. Venetia, George said, unlock the front door. His home assistant did as she was told, unaware of the consequences. The metal drape drew open slowly and the lock unlatched. George watched Tex, who cocked his head to the side, stuck in a paralysis of curiosity. Here we go, George whispered. Then he charged through the door, knocking Tex off his feet and sprinted towards Mr. Potus. Detonate! 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 The men in suits shouted, but the copper cover of his bracelet kept the detonation sequence from reaching the transmitter on his wrist. The men in suits blockaded Mr. Potus, who had ducked behind the wall of guardians, but even their muscular bodies wouldn't be able to stop what was coming. George jumped, targeting his body toward the beefy barrier protecting Mr. Potus. In midair, George unclipped the copper covering. Please work, was his last thought. His bracelet exploded. Next to Rupert the betta fish, flecks of food still floating on the surface of his water. Callie watched as New York City celebrated the new year. At midnight, she expected everyone's phones to light up with the specific strobe sequence the company had designed to enhance the effect of the supercharged frequency that was supposed to emit from their device's speakers. Nothing happened. There's a lot to unpack with this story, and there's also a lot of little details that maybe you missed on this first listen, and if you ever give it a chance to have a second listen, maybe the story will become even richer for you. Just uh, a little tip, a little FYI. What's so great about this podcast, though, is that you don't have to process alone, and in fact, our hope is that this is just the beginning of the conversation, that you would decide to engage further in the experience of social stories beyond just the listening. And the best place to do that is on Instagram. Follow us at Social Stories Podcast. And what we're going to do on the Instagram page is really be a place for all of us to join in in the conversation. Uh, all of our collective voices can be heard. And we're going to use that page to maybe go behind the scenes of a story. How was it written? How did it come about? Um, was it surprising? Maybe we'll, we'll dive deeper into the themes or the topics of certain stories and, and invite conversation around those things. And, you know, maybe we'll meet the, the people who submitted the story prompt and, uh, you know, find out, was it a surprising ending to them? Maybe it went exactly like they thought it would, or maybe that it didn't. And so 
Really, there's a lot of different ways, an infinite number of things that we can do on this Instagram page to continue the conversation, and uh, you will be invited into that. And what's great is that on this page is where we will occasionally invite people to submit their story prompts. So if you want to be a part of this, if you want to potentially submit an idea that might turn into a full episode, then go follow us because that's where there will be consistent reminders to be submitting your ideas. But we did didn't want you to have to wait for that moment, for that opportunity on social media when we invite those submissions. We wanted to give you a way to instantly send in a story idea because we know as you walk about your daily lives, inspiration can hit you at any moment. And if you're anything like me and you don't address that in the moment, a lot of times it just kind of flutters away in the wind again and I forget all about it. I forget some really important things sometimes. And these story prompts, they're super important. So don't forget them, send them in right away. And the way that you can do that is by storing the social stories phone number in your phone. And that phone number is this, it's 770-322-4867. Again, that's 770-322-4867. Six seven. So store that in your phone as Social Stories Podcast. And then as soon as an inspiration strikes you through your day, just go ahead and text it right in and we'll collect those and add those to the submission list. If you enjoyed this listen today, subscribe to our channel on whatever podcasting app or website you're using and give us a rating or a review. That absolutely goes a long way in getting the word out about this podcast. Share this with your friends. Give them a word of mouth encouragement to listen through because we're going to be able to take this podcast only as far as we take it together. We need you to help us get the word out so that more people can engage in the social stories conversation. Shout out to my wife, Kayla Joyner, for helping me collaborate on the Social Stories logo. That's what you see on the Instagram page if you go follow it there uh, now. And she's amazing. She's the one who made that come alive. And without her, really, this podcast doesn't happen. She's the best. So lastly, come back next week for episode two, and we'll jump into the story called The Box. And it was born from this story prompt. Leaving everything in my car, I change in the dark garage before coming inside. That is a wild ride. I'm so excited to share it with you. So until we read again, I'm John Joyner. We'll see you next week.